Welcome to the Freeborn Shard Episode 6, a podcast dedicated to the game Beyond the Gates of Antares by Rick Priestley and Warlord Games. I'm Tim Bancroft in Stonehenge. And I'm Justin Shearer from Melbourne. In addition to our normal news and reviews, this episode we look at the Boromite clans, and we have a guest this week in the form of Fred Wyver. As you may know, we don't like theory crafting when we're running through different factions, and neither of us really have direct hands-on experience of Boromites, do we? No, I um, only just recently managed to get a very uh, small 500-point game in against the Boromites, and that's the extent of my hands-on experience. I've, I have seen them played, if that counts. Well, it helps, because you know what it's like <laughs> to be on the receiving end of what I think is one of the most powerful factions in the game. Yeah, I, I would probably agree. And certainly the what's interesting about them, though, is they certainly don't get talked about like that on the forum. No, it's the Gar who get the blame. But actually, I think it's the Boromites who, at least until we get the heavy vehicles out, who are, are more potent than I think almost any other faction. No, I, th- I think so, too. It would be quite interesting to, to sort of play around with, I think. Um, they're quite different in that they're reasonably sturdy and they seem to be quite good up close, which, you know, the up close combat in this game is, is very interesting. Keep away from Boromites. Well, we can come on to that later because we'll be running through them in our, our normal fashion. For now, though, I think we really have to mention something which I think everybody ought to know, and that is Warlord's Club Offer. Yeah, this was uh, very, very generous, and I don't know how well advertised we could describe it as on the basis that it's it's on our forums, it's on the Warlord site, but for, for some clubs it would be... I think reasonably hard to see. So what exactly are they offering, Tim? They're offering four new players from a club a whole set of goodies. Basically, they each get a 500-point starter army and some terrain and the rules. And I think there's also the templates and other stuff in it. So it's it's a really nice starter bunch for a club. There Mm. is a a quid pro quo, though. They want you to run, I think it's a a set of monthly articles, isn't it? It's basically like the... uh... Four Armies articles that used to be, you know, in the old White Dwarf and so on, you know, the the tale of four gamers. So once a month, we just want to know how everyone is getting along with their hobby and take a few photos and talk about the game. And I think it's a great opportunity. I I shared around to a couple of sort of local clubs here. um, uh, Hopefully we'll get a bit of take up here because I'd love to see our local scene grow. If you're interested, you get three of your mates at your club uh, to sign up with you and then send an email to antares at warlordgames.com. I think just one email will suffice at the moment saying why you're interested and perhaps a hint of what you're going to do. So that's antares at warlordgames.com for what frankly is a really good offer. And I'm just, I'm almost disappointed to have missed out on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it would be a bit rich for, for people like ourselves to play. But if a group in Australia does manage to... Uh, to, to get the nod, I'd really love to hear from you. I'd, if you're close enough, I'd, I'd happily come out and show you the ropes and talk Antares and you know take a few photos. But uh... Oh, sorry to interrupt there, mate, because I, I just thought that's a great offer because I was just about to say I'll do exactly the same in the south of the UK as well. So hit us up if, if that sort of fits with your plans and um, and works for, for you, and uh, we'd, we'd certainly love to participate. Um, I'm not, not certain that that's going to come up, but <laughs> if it does... Um, yeah, let me know. I'd love to come and hang out and play some Antares and best of luck to everyone who enters. So when do they have to get their nominations in by? It's by the 14th. So there's only 12 days left at the time of recording. And by the time you hear this, there probably will only be a week left. So get in quick. 
Now, I think we ought to move on to news, rumours, hobby events, which is our normal hobby section, if you like. But it's actually been fairly quiet at the moment. Well, in terms of new releases, yes. I mean, the the big news, I guess, is, of course, the campaign. Which has just closed down so they can assess the results. Yeah, I'm excited about this on the basis that I don't know how they're going to actually sort of handle this particular thing. I'm really excited to see where that goes. It could be just the most amazing thing. I'm, I'm really looking to see how this affects the story. I am too. I mean, Rick's been quite emphatic that he will build the next story based on the results of this, and he's now having to look at the results. So it's I'm really quite interesting. For me, though, it just went too fast. I wasn't able to get that many games in, so I was too involved with demos and all of that sort of stuff. But I think it's a great idea and really good. And the setup from Beast of War I thought was great. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, I think it's been absolutely fantastic and... The software is so easy to use and so interesting and more of the same, I think, guys. That's that's really the takeaway. I, I know this is probably not really possible, but I, I would love to even have uh, something ongoing. Now, there's an idea. We're brainstorming here. This is just coming straight out of the air. But yeah, an ongoing thing might be really quite nice there, especially in that sort of format. That would be that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, I, I realise it's probably not possible, but I, I think it was great. I really enjoyed reading all the battle reports. I, I'm really excited to see how it'll be integrated into upcoming releases and the next supplement. I think it's just fantastic. Other than that, have there been any, any releases? Have you noticed? Not really. The uh, I've just had a look back round at the various boxes and I do like the look of the Boromite box but other than that no there's none really I think they've been focusing on Conflict 47 and the other sort of stuff Anything on the hobby front for you, Tim? No, not really. I'm just pasting things together. Obviously, we've just had the end of the painter figure competition, which Richard Dando's running, and some of the entries for that looked awesome, I have to say. Now, I'm assuming that when you say awesome, you are, of course, referring to that command crawler with the palm tree. That is an amazing, amazing job. It was just a single figure, wasn't it? But, uh, yeah, that looked great. I was also thinking, actually, of Jez's... Was it Bopan Tuk he put it? No, no, no. It was, it was Hansa. Oh, it was Hansa, um, no robot. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that yeah. was really, really exquisite. Uh, that was certainly an interesting take on, on Hansa as well, um, with the, the black skin and the big white moustache. and I, I, it, was, it was an interesting representation of him and quite cool. Don't envy them the task of judging. What have you been doing, mate? I haven't been making as much progress as I would have liked, but I've been noodling around with my Elgrin. Uh, they're all fully assembled now. Most of them are in various stages of progress. I'm kind of working towards getting all the white armor plates done, but I'm also kind of working on my Concord at the same time. So I haven't been all that productive. Uh, but I've been, I managed to get a couple of little Scouting Force games in. No good results <laughs> for me, but I did learn an awful lot. I'll share the lessons in a in an article on the Warlord site, but I will say I dramatically underestimated the value of the Algorand Basic AI Squad. I think they're much, much better in real life than on paper. Yeah, they're very flexible. I think that's what we said last week, and that's certainly been my experience with the AI squads as well, is don't poo-poo their capabilities, I think. Before we move on to our main review of this show, I think we need to mention something that's happening in Melbourne, don't we, Justin? If you're listening to this and you can make it to Melbourne and you haven't already signed up, paid, sent me your list or whatever, get in touch. 20th of August, uh, 
the players pack is on the Australian group, but if you can't find it, send the Freeborn Shard an email, send me a message on Facebook, just comment on the Intel, tag me in there, um, and I'll get you hooked up. But it's three games, 750 points, very casual, a lot of prizes. Come, have fun, turn up. Um, we can have a beer, it'll be great. And the Freeborn Shard will be there. Now moving on to our main theme for this episode, the Boromite clans. We'll start off as ever with their weapons, their kit, their main rules affecting them, and some gotchas. With us though today, because as I said earlier, we just don't really like theory crafting and prefer practical experience, we have got Fred Wyver, who is well known from the Facebook groups and the boards for being a Boromite advocate. Hello, Fred. Hi there. Uh, great to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome. We've also got a few thanks to give to Tim Peasley and Clayton Condruff, who gave us a whole load of comments, which we might mention as we go through here as well. So I think we'll just start with probably the Boromites as a whole, because they are quite different. They're interesting because they've got a lower agility than the basic human profile, but a higher strength. And they've also got a consistently high command, but generally a lower uh, reaction statistic. Yeah, they're a slightly tricky force to get to grips with to start with. But once you kind of uh, work out their peculiarities and what they can and can't do, they actually perform really, really well. What are they like in terrain, though? Temperamental, at best, <laughs> I think is the best way to, to look at it. Um, don't necessarily expect to be able to get across a piece of terrain in one turn. It may take two or three. As long as you bear that in mind and you know don't rely on any kind of last-minute dashes to win the game, you probably be all right with them. <laughs> yeah, we were saying earlier that we think that they're one of the most potent forces in the game. No, I totally agree. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the kind of the unusual weaponry that they have is, is probably the key cause for that. They're interesting also in that they're going to more reliably, of course, take orders, but less reliably react. So that's also going to change very much how they play compared <laughs> to the Concord or uh, or other armies like that. The reactions I tend to more or less not use because uh, because of the, the kind of low initiative skill. It's more of a case with Boromites that it's kind of a manoeuvring army. You need to get yourself into the position that you need to be in before you start trying to do anything anyway, because otherwise it's it's just not going to be an effective uh, use of your forces. Oh, wonderful. Right. I think we ought to go on to the rest of the key bits of equipment and kit that they actually have. Mm. I think one of the things which stands out a lot here are the use of suspensor platforms and drones. So let's start off with suspensor platforms. One of the great things about them is that they're rapid sprint and 4M. Yes. And they're also suspensors, so they can actually go over some types of terrain without a problem. And one of the things that I certainly missed at first is that other units, other models in the unit can actually ride on this platform with the, the mounted model so uh, for example the matriarch and the guildess can both stand on the platform simultaneously and trundle away across the water yeah we'll cover i guess some of the ways that those units might sort of be differently constituted but that's definitely something that's really easy to miss in the rules and the, the other thing that i know a lot of people tend to miss also is that the rapid sprint keyword is not quite the same as fast in that you don't you know you can't hold the run orders and so on so that one uh, comes up not just with the suspensor platforms but also the rock riders for me personally though it's the imagery of the suspensor platform that i love i just love the repurposed equipment in the list 
No, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that really drew me to Boromites in the first place was this idea of sort of itinerant miners who had just happened to be lugging around this heavy equipment and get into fights occasionally. Yes, or from the background, sometimes a little bit more than occasionally because they can <laughs> be very clannish, which is uh, an interesting way to look at them. But the other thing which is probably quite big about them is drones. In general, Clayton points out that there's not a lot of drone upgrades for Boromites. And he, he his own view is that we ought to just leave them at their strengths, if that makes any sense. Well, I sort of tend to agree. Um, I very rarely upgrade any of my uh, tactical choices with things like spotter drones. Uh, I don't find it terribly useful. Um the the sort of the Boromite specific drone, the Bora drone, hmm. again doesn't tend to go on tactical choices for me. It's more of a support uh, reinforcer. So that instant foxhole sort of approach is something that you'd perhaps put up for your X launchers or that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, if you've got X launchers uh, throwing out sort of uh, troubling things like grip or scramble or whatever, then they're going to become a massive target for your enemy very quickly. And anything you can do to protect them is is always useful. Mm-hmm. The only caveat I would say to that is uh, Bora drones can be very good on work gangs with heavy tractor mauls because it effectively puts their strength up to nine on the charge, which is mm. enormous, especially <laughs> when you're getting two attacks each at strike value two or three three i think it's it's crazy i guess while we're talking about drones too we should probably also remember to point out because of course the matriarch almost certainly going to bring a couple of gun drones along with respect to that of course don't forget that we need to be able to for the matriarch to see you know or, or the guildess to see in order to actually draw a line of sight with the gun drones i know that came up with people hiding the matriarch around the corner and poking the gun drones out as per the rick's yeah, FAQ. Yeah, that's going to be out in Rick's Q and A pretty soon, I think. Actually, possibly by the time this um, this this episode is actually out. Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think the other things we can go through are probably the electro lash, which is fairly straightforward, but it's I find it sneakily nasty. I've called it, it with three SV one attacks in hand to hand. Yeah, it can be effective. Um, SV1 slightly lets it down because it's usually going to be in squads that can do SV2 or SV3 as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's an extra few chances to, to cause a res roll, so it can't hurt. Well, remembering, of course, though, that in the hand-to-hand combat, what we really want to see is kills for the pins rather than uh, res rolls, unlike yeah. shooting. So, But still, you know, against basic infantry, I mean, that's just going to carve them up. Oh, Especially against Concord infantry, you know, it's 50% chance every wound is a kill at that point. So, What about the other weapon we see a lot of, which is mash compactors? It's got quite a short range. It can do. Um, I tend to end up using them in the sort of 10 to 20 inch range band, which puts it at strike value 2. That basically means that my my units aren't too close to the enemy to be in danger of getting charged, with they, which they might not want to be doing. But it's still reasonably effective it also discourages your opponents from getting too close which means you can do quite a lot of kind of uh, area denial it's an interesting use i mean i know at close range they've got a sv of three so people may be a little bit wary of it but actually using them like that as if they've all got plasma carbines at that range yeah and they do take away cover as well which kind of will change the way you play because I, I know when we play this quite a lot of cover on the table so uh, a lot of games involve getting your infantry into the right sort of places, and the mass compactors get around that. To me, though, the, the biggest thing is that 20-inch range, being able to put pins on gas suits. That, that seems to be the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> 
talking about SV2, we've got the tractor mauls, and the heavy tractor mauls seem to be one of the nastiest hand-to-hand weapons around, actually. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Certainly the heavy tractor mauls uh, will be devastating, and when we see the, uh, the actual models come out and get them on the table, I'll be so happy. They look fantastic from the they sneak peeks we've seen. I will say, although obviously I agree, I mean, the tractor mauls, two SV2 attacks, the heavy tractor mauls, Two SV3 attacks and can you know have a, a sort of a 10-inch range. Um, all that stuff is, is really effective and really nasty, of course. But I guess the thing is, is with the way melee works, nine times out of ten, when you're going into something, unless it's a hand-to-hand specialist itself, I mean, because melee is 100% decisive, if you win, <laughs> you don't need a massive advantage in order for, for melee to be truly brutal. I mean, you know, I, I suspect most of the time it's going to be overkill. I think there's a lot of overkill in the Boromite uh, close combat sections, actually. I, it feels like it's been written with uh, some sort of horrendous big bad in mind that currently nothing is kitted out to take on. But I know maybe it'll be excellent for taking down sort of big Mod 2 vehicles, something like that. If you're looking at Res 15, then the SV is, is sort of irrelevant, but the sheer weight of attacks that you'll get out of the heavy tractor mall could be devastating. Yeah. Have you used them against the Xylos Gulper? I haven't had a chance to yet, actually. Yeah, so I wonder if that's the, one of the big beasties Justin's suggesting. But anyway, let's move on. There's another thing at SV2 in this list. Yes, another thing at SV2 <laughs> here, which is the implosion grenades. Mm. They're a bit hazardous, obviously, but they're SV2. You mentioned you quite liked the implosion grenades. I really do. Um... I've been quite lucky with them in close combat in that hitting myself has been a fairly rare occurrence. Um, and against Gar troops, the, the ability to stack up SV2 hits really very quickly brings the uh, the res rolls right down to a sort of manageable number. It's really, really effective against Gar troopers. Sorry to say, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All grenades are. I think grenades are fantastic. Next, Vorpal Charges, the most dodgy weapon probably on the <laughs> table everyone hates them everyone hates them <laughs> i think there is a gotcha here which we need to mention and that is that they're released at the start of the boromite units action rick's mentioned this several times and it's worth remembering so as soon as the boromite is given an order dice voluntarily then they can release the vorpal charge yeah, it's yeah. certainly something that's caught me out because it's not obvious from the way it's worded in the rulebook. Um, and I hadn't caught any of any of the kind of updates where it was listed. I don't think it's in the errata or the FAQ, the official FAQ at the moment anyway, is it? No, I don't think so. It's just been answered several times. Hmm. The key thing is, though, apart from the fact it rolls 2d6 and causes instant destruction if you don't make a agility test, which is why Gar hate them, of course, and I would imagine vehicles would hate them as well. Yes, quite possibly. Um, I haven't managed to play against anyone who's got vehicles yet, but again, they tend to have low ag, so it's, it's going to destroy almost anything. The saving grace, I guess, is that Boromite units it's on, of course, they're slow, uh, they've got low agility, so you can sort of position the terrain around them, and it has to be done at the start of the action, so you know you can't like run them forward and release them. So they're not all that easy to get, and of course it's random distance how far it's going to go, so it's not all that easy to get them there. Yeah, but absolutely. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah, it's 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 by no means a kind of guaranteed thing, and in quite a lot of battles you won't even use them. Um, but again, they have other uses if you feel that you're not going to get close enough. They do make excellent, again, area denial tactics. You can use them as a sort of mobile random minefield. Um, <laughs> uh. If you've got a couple of those uh, 
wandering around on a sort of a section of the board. There are no gar suits are going to go anywhere near it, just in case. Yeah, absolutely. There, as Tim Paisley mentioned, uh, a quick quote. He said, "After turn one, though, the Vorpal charge is nobody's friend." No, absolutely. And I've had units wiped out by their own Vorpal charges a couple of turns later. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's just unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> You know, I would really love to model one of these as a as a spinning Boromite soldier holding uh, a ball and chain as a bit of a. <laughs> no, no, I think I, I think they're fantastic. Um, I will say the other there is another gotcha with these, and I think the Vorpal charges will probably throw up a lot of these as people play with them a bit. But um, shield drones don't work against; they can't soak up a hit from a Vorpal charge. Let's move on to some of the other weapons which are probably less used, but nonetheless they're in the list which are unique to Boromites, and that's the Electro Lancets. Uh, rock Riders have them, they give plus one hand to hand, of course, of SV2, but other than that, they seem to be straightforward hand to hand weapons. Yeah, pretty, pretty clear cut, nothing overly surprising with them. Um... They're not really the kind of the, the be all and end all of Boromite close combat stuff. Um, they've Compared to the rest of it, they're a little bit underpowered, I think. Well, or you might say that the other stuff is overpowered either way. Um, <laughs> what about, though, the frag borer or the heavy frag borer? I love the model. And to be to be honest, that's that's enough of an excuse to bring one along. We've mentioned about themes and actually picking up what you love before on the Shard. And I think that's a great thing to do with Antares. And it's something that's so easy to do as well. And I can see situations where they'd be very useful. I mean, if you, it's the sort of weapon that you're going to have to use with a real kind of combustion tactical effort so you need to get a load of pins on something make sure it's going to stay down and then you can bring your frag borer in and decimate it um, but if you're just taking pot shots with it i don't think it'll be super effective yeah the trick with weapons like this with the fractal lock is to hit them at the end of the turn and then hit them again at the start of the turn for the automatic hit followed by the increased strength strike value rather so with respect to this i mean obviously these kinds of weapons are simply better when they're on mod units. So I think for the most part, they're, they're, you're not going to be able to get great value out of them, but they're pretty cool. Again, it's the compression bombard. It's something that's nasty at close range, but probably not that good at longer ranges, is it? Well, close range is still quite long. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's 10 to 50 inches. So it's a bit... that, that covers most of um, the tape, usually. <laughs> what about Micromite probes, Fred? Oh, they're a peculiar little beast, aren't they? Um I've I've used them once and they're they're all right. Um, they're a little bit less manoeuvrable than other probes. They only go 15 inches instead of the 20. Uh, but again, they do more or less the same thing than targeted probes, and they're they're a little bit more durable. They're not necessarily an auto include, but um, it depends what you're setting up. If you're bringing X launchers, I'd probably bring the spotter probes instead. Do I mean spotter probes? I mean scout probes. Definitely, they're, they're interesting in that they're, they're quite tough compared to a, a regular probe. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely more durable. Um, they're harder to hit when you're shooting at them, and they get extra bonuses for being in cover. Um, I don't know, I'm not totally convinced. Which is interesting, but that fits in again with the Boromite theme of why do we need drones? We dig. Sure. And the last one of the Boromite Pacific kit, which we're going to have a look at, is the Auto Workshop. 
and this I absolutely love. The engineer squad, which tends to bring it along, is it's a small team, um, and they just sort of sit at the back with your support weapons and nurse them through any sort of damage that they get. The auto workshop's got a 50% chance of pulling pins off. Uh, not all squads, not infantry squads, but vehicles, weapon drones, weapon teams, or any kind of vehicle-mounted squads. But the important thing for me there is the weapon teams. Being able to have a little battery of support teams and just lift pins off them every turn with this auto workshop it's, it's really really useful mm, that's it sounds pretty lethal myself <laughs> there is another gotcha as well at the same time as it operates at the time of activation as yes. the same as the vorpal charge so it's yeah absolutely it's consistent so it's easy to remember i think now we'll move on to the units and the forces of the boromites We are going to have a look at the rather unique units comprising the Boromite clan force. I think one of the things we've got to mention before we go into any detail though is that generally there is a high number of support options in the Boromite list than on other armies. For example, there's four at skirmish level. Yeah, this is interesting because you know I think especially in the early days of, you know, theorizing around lists, you know, a lot of people were just going, all right, well, that's easy. I'll just take four net launches at 750 points. So um, I think you can certainly make some really skewed lists if you, you know, if you want to go down that road. Yeah, that's entirely, entirely true. Um, I mean, I think actually with the support choices, people tend to underestimate what you can get away with from a Maglite support. I think it's, um, I think it's very underused and mm. really quite valuable. The other thing to note is, I think it's worth noting, is that uh, at a combat force, you have to take five tactical choices, which is one more tactical choice than Algorans, Asaurians, or C3. So you are paying a slight tax for that extra support slot. Except your tax is going to be made up of <laughs> deliciously cheap units, which we'll talk about in a sec. And the other thing we have to mention is there is a, a major gotcha here in that many of the points of the Boromite list are errated, so it's worth downloading the errata from the website. I think there's a general set of comments here which you made, Fred, apart from the fact that the Boromites are probably the most effective close combat, but they've got an agility that's subpar. Yeah, yeah, um, I think... Well, I don't think anyone would argue with their, their close combat punch, certainly. Um, but getting them into place can be difficult. Uh, it tends to mean that you're playing quite a short-range force in terms of uh, range bands and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one to, to deal with because there's a lot of things that set up how you use your army, which are based on what they're armed with. Yep. Um, mm. So mag gun troops have every incentive effectively to kind of stand back and shoot over long ranges, whereas some of the work gang troops, as we'll see, have very different uh, strengths. So in other words, support them when you send them in. Yeah, if you end up with uh, close combat troops that are effectively overextended and unsupported by a decent amount of infantry, then you'll find them getting picked off as the, the terrain kind of closes in around them, blocks off lines of sight to your support weapons. So unless you can keep your force sort of coherent, you'll find it getting picked apart piecemeal, I think. Which is all standard advice, but it just seems to be exacerbated by the structure of the Boromite army. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say one quirky thing with the Boromites and their melee focus, though, that low agility means that they really do need to work together in order to get into combat because taking the sprint rolls to get in is actually fairly risky because yeah, most of the game. time you're going you're gonna to take that extra pin. So you really have to hurt 
in close combat, or you can accidentally kill yourself by taking that one pin on the way in. Yeah, it can be very, very dangerous trying to get there, but once you do get there, it generally is worth it. Where should we start with the tactical options? I think that we might as well start off with the main command squads. You've got the overseers, which are the main ones, armed with plasma carbines, who can have synchronised drones from the Xylos Horizon book. There's only about three units in the core Boromite list who can actually take these synchronised drones. Also, I guess their real niche in the list is that they, obviously they have follow, which is great, but there's a few options with follow in the list. Um, But they've got plasma carbines, which are a little bit more rare. Uh, And especially in this army where they don't have a lot of other sort of basic good long-range weapons main use for these though fred appears to be simply that the reach of their command uh, stat i tend to if i use them at all and i tend not to i use them to babysit uh, support weapons really to give myself a kind of battery of fire if i can get away with it i don't bring them there's a really high command stat throughout the whole boromite army so having that extra radius of command 10 which is effectively the same as command 9 doesn't really make much difference to me at which point you're basically paying a, a tax for plasma carbines which are okay they're great but i can find other things to replace them with and that Mm. follow order which admittedly can be used for the synchronizer drone but for me it doesn't quite seem worth it when you consider that you could have an an extra you know work gang unit instead of that overseer squad or rock or whatever the overseer squad is a very expensive squad uh so you can certainly get a, a useful other alternative tactical choice with a bit of change left over yeah absolutely yeah, I think it's worth saying that if you're running Boromites as mercenaries, you've got to take some form of command squad. Yeah, yeah. and I suspect that might have been put in place, firstly for thematic reasons, but also possibly because uh, people aren't bringing too many of the command choices in the Boromite standard list. Which brings us to the next one, really, which is a very weird option in Thematriarch. What do you think, Fred? Well, this is the one that I actually will make an exception for more than uh, more than the others just because of the kind of the the stunning model and the uh, the kind of quirkiness of the rule set for it i quite often bring themed lists and whenever i'm doing a themed list it tends to have a matriarch at the head of it just because i think it adds so much flavor to the whole thing as for how it plays it's much more fragile than it seems and you really do need to kit it out with drones Um, weapon drones and shield drones are more or less a must She's certainly interesting because she can die very, very easily. Uh, you're definitely going to need shield drones to keep her alive. Absolutely. But as you're saying, it really comes down to themes more than anything else. What about the Rock Father? I've never used one. I've, it didn't feel suitably thematic to me to ever kind of justify it. Um, I don't really see a great advantage in it over the Overseer squad. Yeah, you've got Hero and Leader 3, but are you going to use it in every battle? I don't know. Interesting. I think we ought to move on to possibly what I think may be one of the worst mag-gun armed units in the game. <laughs> no, no <laughs> not possibly. They are the worst <laughs> unit in the game. That, I, I, might even go further, I might even go further than the worst of the mag-gun armed units. They might be the worst overall unit in the game. Um, scathing. It's a big call. It's a big call, but they're very bad, I think. So you don't use the gang fighters at all, Fred? No, I I do own a squad, and I'm you know that's more for a sort of completionist model aesthetic. But I think I put them on the table once. I was deeply unimpressed, and just haven't really gone back to them. It's a shame because they're such excellent models, but they just they need something else in there to give them the ability to to hurt heavy armored targets like gas suits. Otherwise, I, the gang fighters upset me. What really separates these from the other mag gun armed units? And I, I guess the first thing I should say is, but what really separates these guys is the leader options are so limited. 
like with the freeborn, and we'll talk about them in a later episode. You know, you can take a plasma pistol or a carbine in the unit to give them a little bit, you know, so that they can put a pin down on a gas suit if it comes up. Well, that's not an option here in the AI list. Well, I mean, the the equivalent AI unit for the same points is just infinitely better and filled with different options. And um, yeah, I just don't know what role these guys play. I mean, I do like the models. Uh, <laughs> I think they're really quite nice. But it's interesting that Clayton also came up with some comments on these, saying that the normal gang fighters, really, if you're going to use them at all, you've got to up figures to them to up the number of shots. Yeah, I I think that's probably a fair statement. But again, I think the best solution is just to not use them. Unless you you really are, you know, a a glutton for punishment and really want to do that rock father gang fighter, you know, mercenary list, then go for it. Mm. But it's, 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 yeah, it's overshadowed definitely by some other choices. Like the work gangs, perhaps. These guys are, are, are definitely better, and I guess the real contrast here also is, although the gang fighters have the long-range mag guns, don't forget the tables on a regular-sized game are not that deep, so the work gangs with their shorter range, you know, they can still get it done. I've never felt handicapped by having a 30-inch max range on the work gangs. It's, <laughs> it's never been a problem. And you can also give these guys reflex armor if you want. I yeah, would that... advocate doing so. You would yeah, advocate. That's noting. I would, yeah. yeah. That's really important because, of course, without it, that's one point of difference between them and the gang fighters. Um, they don't have the extra armor by default, so they're a little bit softer, but you can buy it for them. Yeah, and it's interesting. You were saying you had work gangs, three six-man work gangs as your core units normally, Fred. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'll start off with whenever I'm putting a list together. I'll have uh, the three six-mans with uh, mass compactors, and then I'll start adding stuff on on top of that. Uh, if you take it up to 1,000 points, I'll generally have at least four six-man work gang squads. Just because they're they're a really kind of efficient use of your points to use up those tactical slots. Um, that yeah, I, I can't praise them enough to be honest. I think they're great. Um, there's a couple of the upgrades that I think are worth looking at. I shy away from giving them vocal charges these days. For the first couple of times I used them, I did give it a go. But once your opponent's wise to the kind of the danger that the vocal charge represents, they become a massive fire target. Um, and you kind of want to spread that throughout your army. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, what I would say is that implosion grenades can be incredibly effective on them. You can use the uh, the mass compactors for your point-blank shooting and then your implosion grenades in hand-to-hand, and they become actually a very effective, again, close combat unit, despite not being specifically designed as that. Yeah, it's it's a very tricky one. Unless you're playing defensively, I wouldn't give them a Bora drone. Yeah. But if you are on a sort of, you know, a, a kind of hold ground mission, then that can also... Uh, make them be quite useful but they're very very much match in with the theme though of miners i've just happened to have my piece of mining kit here with, with me and all right well you're in the way yeah yeah and it's it's i mean you know why wouldn't you if you happen to be being invaded by gar suits then you're going to bring out your massive rock drill and go to town on them <laughs> it's just, it's just natural <laughs> let's move on to one of the other really nasty and tricky weapons in the Boromite arsenal, which are the lava mites, the rock dogs. Yeah, they're amazing. They are ag4, like the rest of the Boromites. They're strength 7, res 8. And their main weakness, though, is just a 5 command stat. However, as far as I can see, they're, they're what, their point-blank shooting is accuracy 7, SV2. Uh, but once they actually get into hand-to-hand, again, they're SV2. Um, three hand-to-hand combat 
attacks each sounds really unpleasant. They're, they're so unbelievably dangerous to anything that gets close to them. And especially being a tactical choice, um, I, I've never seen anyone do it, but you could spam them like crazy. Uh, I don't think you'd ever find an opponent again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I I know personally for me, if I was going to put a Boromite list on the table, I'd basically start with several squads of Lavamites on suspensor platforms. Because, of course, the basic squad, um, you take a suspensor and you know, all the Lavamites fit. And I kind of... With that in mind, I kind of see two versions of this list. One one version that takes three hatchling swarms to stand on the platform and then takes as many you know rock broods because then they all have rapid sprint. And it's quite a fast unit altogether or the minimum unit where they just jump on the platform. Um, both cases, but I'd be basically taking as, almost as many of these as I could, I think. They're that cool. <laughs> I, I can see why you would uh, edge towards that but I, I think again it's the case of massive overkill um, <laughs> I mean I tend to run one squad and I, I run a squad of five uh, with the rock brood up, upgrade and that has quite easily gone through you know two separate units of gar before it's run out of steam and collapsed um it's <laughs> no. I, yeah I, sorry tim but it's 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 hard to to get across just precisely how dangerous these things are when you give them the rock brood upgrade it's, it's interesting you said that because clayton's comments on this were they should be the enemy's primary target every time if they're Absolutely. near anything yeah yeah, yeah sure. they're very dangerous, very dangerous. But again, um, you know, if you can snipe out the overseer uh, in that unit, it can be very, very difficult for them to do anything unless they're well supported by, you know, a leader figure or something. So um, like the, you know, the much maligned rock father or overseer squad. So with that in mind, you know, there's certainly a counterplay to it. And I, I certainly think that, you know, gas suits, the battle suits are going to get absolutely monstered by these, but uh, the assault suits should hold their own. In my experience, uh, they don't hold their own at all. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, in terms of uh, separate leader options, I would probably pair these with the Matriarch because she has the rapid sprint as well, so she can actually yeah. keep up with them. They are an awesome close combat unit with some sneaky, perhaps, rapid sprint. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Sorry, vulnerable to grip as well Yeah, because of the low ag, um, which everyone else who plays the other armies will, I'm sure, be very grateful for knowing. <laughs> and they will, of course, be vulnerable if you take out the leader. Yeah. Mm. With all this in mind, my number one request for the Boromites is for Warlord to produce the suspensor so that I can buy it and put my lava mites on it. And <laughs> maybe even an alternative overseer model, so he's not standing on that rock. Um, so he looks looks more fitting on the suspensor. But I, I would, let me give you my money, Warlord. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely buy a handler on a suspensor platform. No questions asked. <laughs> not nice. A couple of the other upgrades, of course, this unit are the lava mite rock broods and the hatchling swarms. But there is a gotcha here with the Rock Brood, who do have Rapid Sprint, and the rest of the unit, Justin. I guess the first thing that we should probably cover is the Rock Brood. We were talking about them before, really. So they, they're the same as large Lava Mites, but they've got SV3 and 4 attacks. So they're an absolute monstrous unit. But they come with Rapid Sprint. Now, of course, if you don't buy the Handler a platform, that Rapid Sprint is not doing a lot for you because he doesn't have it by default. So you can give him a Suspensor. That's great. Now, the Hatchling Swarms, they don't have Rapid Sprint. So if they're included in the unit, you really want to make sure they've got room to stand on the platform. Do you ever take these sort of upgrades? Uh, I haven't brought Hatchling Swarms. Um, I think 
mostly it's just because I, I don't really see that any extra attacks are necessary in the Lava Mite squad, and all you end up using them for is kind of wound soak, which I suppose is, is valid, but they're, they're pretty tough in the first place. I mean, they my uh, Rock Brood Lava Mites have soaked up ungodly amounts of shooting before finally succumbing to it. That res 8 is huge, especially if you get them in some sort of cover. Yeah. I think we now move on to some more beasties, which are the Locomites and the Rock Riders and the equivalent overseers the locomites look on paper really quite nasty strength eight rapid sprint they've got sv2 normally and obviously they've got electro lance what do you think of these fred i think they're potentially quite a good sort of swiss army knife unit but i tend to focus on units that have a single purpose and i don't really feel that they necessarily do they've got rapid sprint but they're not hugely fast otherwise you can take the risk that they'll make that rapid sprint but they're still only ag four which is a problem with them their res is is you know above par for for boromites so they are a little bit more durable but when you start losing even just like a single model the unit's going to rapidly lose effectiveness so it sounds like you prefer the actual lava mite squad rather than a rock rider squad personally i would unless i was going down the the kind of the full beast themed army which could be a really fun thing to do i i would generally feel that i would be spending my points on other support options than than these mm, yeah and it's interesting you said that because clayton's comments say the same which is yeah they've actually got plasma carbines but they want to close the gap and engage if possible because they're good in melee it does strike me that he's backing up what you're saying and that they are a swiss army knife they're not as good at that hand-to-hand as the lava mites and they're not perhaps as good at some of the range stuff even though they've got plasma carbines as say an equivalent pointed work gang yeah i mean their saving grace is that they're they're quite inexpensive they're not hugely overpriced or anything so if you wanted to bring a squad along and use it as a sort of a kind of flanking thing to to scare your enemy effectively i think they do that quite well but they do look good oh yeah they look great should we move on to the support teams now there is x launchers of course we've talked about those as before and you've said that they could actually be quite useful fred and obviously everybody likes x launcher I, yeah. I, I will say these are worth talking about though because these are distinctly different its function is very different than in other lists because you just don't have spotter drones in your list no it, it can be a problem with the x launchers which is why i would tend to head towards scout probes as being very useful if you're going to bring x launchers along that said, I mean, everybody, yeah, like you say, everybody loves an X-Launcher. They are so useful to have in your list. Um, my general support loadout is going to be uh, three Maglite supports and two X-Launchers because the Maglite supports are just so cheap and they're, they're really, really versatile. I find it so, uh, so incredibly useful. I think one on its own is probably a waste of time. But if you've got two or three of them across the board, sort of triangulating units, uh, strike value that it's got can put pins on pretty much anything apart from anything that's armor 13 up so you're mm. pinning gas suits which is important for me um you're pinning mm. light vehicles and you can just uh, you can almost sort of guarantee that you're going to get those pins on them mm. um it's i don't know for 36 points it's it's i think you'd be crazy not to underuse underappreciated i have to admit in my ai army i do quite like the Magnite support, it is cheaper and you can do an awful lot with it that the Plasma Light support can do for twice the cost. Against quite a lot of targets, there's functionally very little different between the Plasma Light support and the Maglite support and the points cost is, is massive. 
the thing that I would uh, also mention about the Boromite support team is it doesn't come with armor as standard. You need to buy it, and you do need to buy it because they will get shot. <laughs> I think I, ju- I think I just let them die. I mean, you're remembering, of course, you can put some of the shots onto the actual weapon, and well, they're 36 points. Why not just keep them cheap? And if they die, they die. Uh, I, I suppose I can see that. I don't know. I, I don't begrudge them the four points for the armor. Sounds reasonable to me. And of course, they've got some special support teams like the AI. They can be plasma weapons but they are limited choice the question i think is would you actually take them and it sounds like the answer is no uh no not really um (laughs) i think if i wanted anything that punched harder then i'd start looking under the strategic section other than that i think the the sort of standard support teams can can more or less do it themselves wonderful whilst we're talking about the strategic though do we move on to the boromite heavy support team and that (laughs) mag heavy support or frag borers well it's a tricky one i mean the the heavy support team always for me gets overshadowed by things like the mag mortar which are just such a kind of dangerous thing to put on the field for almost anything um having that kind of that net ammo coming out of the mag mortar is is brutal but i don't really feel it fits with the boromites and how they would function on a battlefield so you've got the the model out for the heavy frag borer which is a beautiful thing mm. and it's not necessarily super effective but against the right targets it could really devastate stuff it's sort of situational but i think it's worth bringing along for the thematic reasons if nothing else it does look great i think you're quite right is that the rest just seem like that their heavy support options pulled in from other armies to put into the boromite clan yeah it's one of those situations where i'd actually slightly like less choice i know that doesn't happen very often but Ah, don't worry, you have very little choice, because why on earth would you take any of these things when you could take the Broodmother? Absolutely. (laughs) What was it you were saying? It's mod 2, so it can get out 24 shots a turn. The only good thing about it is it's slow, Uh, but the other bad thing about it is that you can replace one of the Maglite supports with a Mag Heavy support, which is what, S3, 5 or 6, at 3 shots a turn, and you or you could replace it with heavy mag cannon. I can't wait for it to come out. I mean, you pay the points for it. It's going to be 300 points easily if you finish, I think, with a, with a bunch of hatchling swarms to kind of to protect it. But it's going to be such a cool model. The shots it, it, that they put online. It's so cool. Um, I can't imagine ever playing a Boromite list at 1,000 points and not including one of these. Uh, I just, I realise, look, she's slow. She puts out a lot of fire, and she just looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, I absolutely can't wait for it to come out. It's going to be such a such a beast. Yeah, and this is the thing we have to say here. Obviously, we are now moving a little bit more to theory crafting side, as of course, yeah. the Matronite Broodmother hasn't come out. Have you ever used the haulers or the heavy haulers? I haven't, no. Um, mostly for the reason that if I was going to proxy something, I would proxy the Matronite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, can, I can see a place for them. Uh, again, on a sort of theory level, I can see a good reason for having them. And certainly transport could be very yeah. useful if you want to run a close combat force because it yeah. cuts out a lot of the ag problems that you're going to have. And it's pretty well armed, too, for for a transport. I mean, the two maglite supports, especially for the cost, I think it's probably better than the T7 in the Concord list in terms of what it can ferry around, what it can shoot, how it, you know its cost, all that stuff. And I think from that point of view, I mean, the T7, I like it. So if I like that, I have to like the hauler. The other lovely thing about the hauler as well, you can actually replace any or all of the maglite supports with mag cannons. It is no joke. 
it's no joke at all. No, it's it's definitely a competitive model, I think. Uh, the heavy hauler? So expensive. I mean, it, it looks like it'll be difficult to shift and it'll do some damage, but I think only if you're paying sort of 1,500 points and up could you really even begin to justify it. And let's be honest, it is not a giant mouth with rock legs <laughs> covered in that's guns. And that's, that's definitely got to go in the con column. <laughs> that's one way to look at it. <laughs> I think we ought to move on to the auxiliaries now, where we've mentioned the Micromites, so I don't think we ought to cover them again. We briefly touched on the Engineer Squad, though, but maybe it's worthwhile recapping on this, Fred. Well, I think there's some other bits and pieces that we didn't mention with them that are definitely worth going over. I mean, uh, the Engineer Squad is pretty much the only way your infantry are going to get a batter drone in a Boromite list, Uh and that can be very valuable. They also have access to Bora drones, Spotter drones, all sorts of things. Um, You can kit them out with almost any of the kind of special perks that are available in the list. You can use them in two ways, I think. Either as a kind of babysitting force for your support weapons, or as a kind of expeditionary force with Vorpal charges, as a kind of run them up the field behind their batter shield and then drop some charges on an unsuspecting flanking unit or something like that. It's a very dirty trick, but it could be quite entertaining, and you wouldn't feel too bad because fundamentally they're quite fragile, so a good round of shooting could deal with them as long as your opponent's paying attention. Remind me to look out for engineer squads. (laughs) The other thing that I've been considering with them just over the last couple of hours, actually, when I've been tweaking lists, is the implosion grenade upgrade. If you're using them in a a babysitting capacity for your support teams, then you can start seeding some implosion grenade minefields around your support teams, which is going to really drastically reduce your enemy's ability to charge in and actually get it. This sounds like you're building a grand battery here, Fred. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's always fun to do something like that. (laughs) A note to self, don't let Fred ever build his grand battery, I think is the uh, the comments here. Fred, thank you so much for coming on the Freeborn Shard. Your insights have actually been really quite useful, as loath as I am to say that, as a predominantly Gar player. It's been really good having you on. No, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting. It's made me think quite hard about some of the things that I've been doing as well, so it's been useful for me. Well, you've been welcome. Thanks, Fred, and I dare say we'll talk to you again soon. Before you go, Fred, have you joined the Boromite Guild on Facebook? I have, yeah. yeah. So that's that's Clayton Condiff's uh, little uh, Facebook page for Boromite players to get together. I've joined so I can steal your ideas. Um, <laughs> Very wise. I've, spying on the guild um no it's actually on facebook page it's, it's got some really interesting threads going already even though it's only been going for what less than a week now or something in this part of the podcast as regular listeners will know we normally try to look at some of the background to the antares universe we're lucky to have with us today clayton condruff from the Boromite Forums, also known as Carile, on the Xylos Horizon. Well, hello, Clayton. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, does this make me the first American on here? It makes you the first American to admit being so. I can't help it. I was born here. It's the way it is. One of the things which really struck me about the recording with Fred is that he was constantly going on about themes. His whole army mm-hmm. was, had to be on a theme, and he was really brought into this Boromite backstory. And apparently you are too. I mean, what is it that attracts you to it? Um, it, it was, it's been very interesting with the uh, Xylos campaign, because all of the Boromites that I've interacted with 
seem to be very tied to uh, the backstory of our faction. And um, I don't know if it's just the, I guess, the incongruous nature with familiarity of other things that you would expect when you look at them. Um, if it's the, the the worker class nature of them, they're not necessarily a military. Um, if it's the fact that their society is matriarchal, it's run by women. It, it's, it's just extremely interesting. And it makes it very fun to play that faction because you can have a little story for every game you're playing uh, without really even trying. Just just your guys being there. They can be anywhere, any setting, any anything. And it makes perfect sense. And that's a really attractive theme, if you like, which runs behind whatever you do to the Boromites. I mean, the history is quite interesting because they're actually one of the oldest races, aren't they? Right, and, and without going into too much detail, because everyone should go get the rulebook and read some of that fluff. It's really, really entertaining. They are roughly from uh, the first age, as far as anyone can tell or records can tell, and came from an asteroid belt that went around Borom. Borom is a star, not a planet. So most people think, oh, they came from Borom, the planet. No, it's a, it's a system, and uh, which has since been lost somewhere in the second age, and now we're many, many, many thousands of years forward in the seventh and so they've been scattered for that long with traditions that could be that old. Some of the sidebars keep mentioning snippets about uh, Borom as well. As effectively, they just keep wandering. Uh, they are the nomads of the stars in many ways. It's, it's just the clan which keeps them together. And that seems to be, whilst it's large, it's still significantly smaller than a freeborn house. They're clans and they're, they're overall overarching guilds tend to be what they what they consider their homes they're they're uh nomadic almost space truckers in a sense but they but they go and where the freeboard are in their ships and and do not house themselves on planets the the boromites travel from uh from a planet to a planet to a planet and they they mine and they they do hard labor and hard work to build and make themselves uh, more effective but in doing that, they don't leave behind these um, these great, you know, artistic treasures or these amazing feats of architecture. They're very form and function. So while they're very good at what they do, they are very specific in their purposes. Which it actually fleshes out really well in the backstory. One of the other interesting things as well is that whilst they're very loyal to the matriarch in their clan, some of the males could be kicked out and they become freebooters, pirates, bandits. Have yeah. you ever thought of doing that with your own Boromite force? I, I have. I think about it a lot. Too often, actually, probably. But the uh, where the, the matriarch is in charge and her guild is, uh, the, the men, the rock fathers, tend to run the military side. So like you said, they can be cast out, maybe not even the high-ups, just groups of of workers could be cast out. And in the Xylos campaign book, it actually gives some really great rules uh, to use that because it allows you to use mercenaries yeah. in other factions. So you could actually just have a group of, a small group of pirates, one or two units that you wanted to add to another faction and have them kind of be the outcast Boromites. You say you've made up your own histories for your own clans. It seems to be common amongst a lot of Boromite players. I mean, what's your background? My background so far, Boromites can't give away all their secrets. Um, that's, that's not how they do. 
because they're it's just not their nature. They're they're notoriously superstitious. You know this. Don't want to don't want to jinx them. Um, no, actually, we had a a rather great uh, set of discussions going in the um, Zylos campaign forums that were up for the the online campaign. Oh yeah, and we're discussing you know traditions that are different our different guilds may have because while the Boromites are one race, uh, they are a, a very plentiful multitude spread across, you know, many millions and millions of light years of different guilds. And so they don't all have the same traditions. And we had talked about some of them maybe having things like, uh, we, we made it up and, and called it a, a Grundad and it, it's more like a traditional dance, um, that they do per their families because Boromite guilds often are only a couple of clusters of very large families. We also had discussions about uh, things like they would have sort of trials or tests for uh, a male to become a rock father uh, from you know the rank of an overseer yep. um, and things like that. It, it, more things in that nature. I don't necessarily have a great story for my group yet, but uh, but I am working on those little elements because that's how I, I build everything in little small pieces and then plugs together it seems fascinating the way that it's actually caught everybody's imagination though probably more so than any other faction apart from the freeborn mm-hmm. and, I, and i think they they fit the same bill to a different aesthetic but but otherwise they they can fill the same role with your imagination yeah i mean it's interesting that as well that this mining group this mining clan is actually so effective on the tabletop because looking at the xylos campaign they did appear to be just about the best performing group. In we tried relation- very hard. We tried very hard. Yeah. <laughs> in relation to their availability and the plastic availability, if you like. Well, as someone who's had way too many models across too many game systems for lots of years at this point, there there is a certain joy in all of the Boromites being metal yeah. and not just plastic. They, it, it suits them well. That's an interesting aesthetic as well. The the fact that the figures are metal and heavy suits the mm-hmm. actual heavy and metal Boromite figures. I hadn't thought of that. The other thing about the Boromites is that maybe it's because they're so old, but they've turned their back on the Imtel and the Nanosphere in many ways. They build their own weapons and things, and they try mm-hmm. to avoid it, it seems. I guess it's safe to say they predate it. Yeah. But um, so so maybe they just didn't integrate it into themselves. But they have the very interesting aesthetic as well for their their faction in that they they tame the Lavan species animals for their thing. So they don't have speeder bikes or you know their their very large tank is a giant monster, and they're all from this Lavan species that that everyone assumes comes from Borom, but but no one actually quite remembers, and they're not telling anyone. And uh, and they they raise them from these hatchlings and and develop them into you know they have they have their rock dogs that they go and hunt down with in their in their packs and then they have their their local mites that uh, they have to supplant in their brains things to make them controllable because they're so aggressive and then every so often one will grow into the the gigantic brood mothers which ironically are actually genderless but being a matriarchal society they call brood mothers and they have to make them more aggressive because they're not aggressive creatures. There's so much flavorful background for the Boromites. It's just, if that's that's your thing, you can really dive deep. 
thank you very much for coming on and chatting to us about the background. It sounds like that we need to collect some of the stuff that went up on the Xylos campaign board and actually put it somewhere. I am collectively right now trying to gather elements from that board and placing them in our uh, a new Facebook group just simply called the Bormite Guild uh, dash Gates of Antares to make it easier to find, where we've had these pretty in-depth discussions, several pages long discussions about Bormite background and, and traditions and things, and, and also plant them there. As time goes by, I don't want to drop them all at once, and, and then everybody gets bored and they don't want to talk about them anymore. That would be lovely. It would be great to see. So it's the Boromite Guild, which you've mentioned earlier, and it's been lovely talking to you, Clayton. No, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to The Freeborn Shard with Tim Bancroft and Justin Shearer. The podcast is produced by Tim Bancroft, and the music is Nice Dude's Theme by Big Nick. Used with permission, our guests today were Fred Wyver and Clayton Condra. Mm-hmm.